I always love the summer series of January. In every year, when I when I prepare for the preach for the year, we always have a fun, light-hearted, um, very easy, very simple messages through January while people are relaxing and on holidays, and you get people drifting in and out and on holidays, and and uh, and so um, I'm enjoying the fact that I can do that again here today, where it's supposed to be a little bit light and airy and, and just have a little bit of fun. And yet I, I think back to a time where we had some new African people come into our church, Stephen and Unami McGuenzi, and I first met them in a prayer meeting, and, uh, and I was in there for 10, 15 minutes before one of them, Stephen, opened his mouth and started to pray, and as soon as he prayed, it felt like the Holy Spirit just dropped a bomb in the room, and, a boof, and it was like... Wow, the anointing from this man and from this woman as well, very prophetic, was just in the room. And so it's like God says to me, take note, take note. So contacted him and started meeting with him and, and uh, having lunches and, and saying, look, you know, God's got something on your life. What do you want to do in the church? And, and it was good. And, and then one of these conversations, he says to me, yeah, when I first came here, he said, I, I looked at the way you preach. And he said, and you preach very simple. Oh, I was like, oh. You know, I thought I thought I preached okay, and he and, I, and he says, "Oh, don't get me wrong." He says, "He says I'm just come from Africa, and I'm used to just deep and theological preaching that delves into everything in Greek and Hebrew and all this sort of stuff." And and he says, "You don't do that." I'm like, "No." So I'm kind of wondering how, at this point of of, of the year, do I uh, get any lighter than I already do? Uh, so I thought I would uh, talk to you about. Um, an argument that me and my brother have regularly, just because it's fun. When Mike, my brother, we're both from New Zealand, turned up 20 years ago to Perth and they were staying with us and, and our kids were only this big and and uh, and Mike and, and his wife Debbie turned up and, and we were sitting around the dinner table and Mike and I were only one year apart. We're going hammer and tongs at all these different arguments that we hadn't had the chance to have a good discussion with over the period of time, and, and we were arguing away, and then, and then when I was putting the boys to bed, Josh turns to me and he goes, Dad, I thought you liked Uncle Mike. And I had to explain to him that I love a good argument and that we were just being friendly and that we're, how about you, do you, do you love a good argument? Are you of the age of Monty Python where the door opens and it says, is this the right room for an argument? Is that, that your kind of humour? <laughs> I really don't like Google in one respect and that it destroys wonderful hours of arguments. You just look online, find the answer. There you go. Whereas uh, we do enjoy a good argument. Having said that, as a preacher throughout the years, I have, I have a number of topics that I don't preach on. And you might be surprised, but the reason is, and my reasoning for not preaching on them is that they tend to cause more angst and separation than they do bring people together. And, and so, uh, end times theology. Uh, the other end of the Bible, evolution versus creation, I generally don't touch. I'll preach in Genesis, but I'm talking about God's goodness. And, 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 and then what, what do I preach on? Well, I, I don't necessarily talk about modern Israel. I don't necessarily uh, argue about uh, the gifts of the Spirit. However, I was, um, our whole family was kicked out of church at age when I was 12 because my dad started to believe in the Holy Spirit. But that is one item that has divided people over the years and caused many churches to split. So I'm careful how I preach on the Holy Spirit because you never know who's in the room. 
And, and uh, one of the best preachers on the Holy Spirit I've ever seen was Nicky Gumbel in, in the Alpha series. He just explains it wonderfully. But so leaving all those ones aside and not going anywhere near the current debates of uh, conspiracy theories and vaccines, I'm going to talk to you about <laughs> what's in a name. That's the title of the message today, What's in a Name? My name is David and um, lots of people call me many different names, usually Dave, but then I've been called Dad. I've been called other names I can't mention. I'm called uh, Hoop. I'm called... Many times people say, um, what would you like to be called? And they discover that I'm not actually keen on Dave. And my standard answer to that one is, if, if they ask, I say, yeah, Dave's not here, man. Um, anybody who remembers Cheech and Chong in the 70s will know where that phrase comes from. But uh, currently my current favourite is not pastor, which is what a lot of my African congregation like to call me, and, and they have to call me pastor. And, and that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that because we get used to hearing ourselves being called different names. My current favorite is Papa, but you don't have to call me Papa. Right. So what's in a name? Okay. This is it. Recently, I've noticed that in songs and uh, in our prayer groups and various other times where people are trying to be really spiritual and deep and meaningful, they use the word Yeshua for Jesus. And, and at first I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Jesus is uh, Hebrew and, well, you know, spoke Hebrew. And, hang on a moment, did he? And, and so this is one of my brother Mike's and my favorite arguments. One of us believes that Yeshua is a name that we should be using. And, and one of us believes that it's probably not, he was never probably called that. And, and I don't want you to get stuck on this today. This is supposed to be light and fluffy, right? So <laughs> whatever we get to the end of the, the uh, preach, and there is a point, but it's not really whether you should call it one or the other. So it's just a vehicle to the end, right? So first of all, uh, let me read to you a couple of portions that jump out to me. In 1 John, sorry, John chapter, hang on a moment, where's John gone? There he is over there. Should have marked it with a little, oh, there it is. Okay, so this is where uh, Jesus is coming to all the disciples. And Jesus looks at, excuse me a moment, I'm going to have to just pull up my list. 1 John chapter, John, sorry, John 1, no wonder I'm getting lost here, John 1 chapter 40. Sorry, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who was with John the Baptist, and he then, John, he heard what John said, and then he followed Jesus. And Andrew went to find his brother Simon, and he told him, we have found the Messiah, which the writer John wrote in here, which means Christ. So you understand that that's just an, illustra uh, an interpretation of from Messiah, Hebrew, into Greek. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And Jesus, what's the first thing that Jesus says to Simon? He says, Simon, your name is Simon. 
son of John. But you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, what we as English reading people don't really understand or don't normally pick up here is the, is the blend of languages that is in that one sentence. So let's try this again. Then Andrew, which is a Greek name, brought Simon, which is a Hebrew name, to meet Jesus, which is a Greek name, and Jesus looking intently at Simon, Hebrew, Jesus, Greek, said, your name is Simon, Hebrew, son of John, Greek, but you will be called Cephas, Aramaic, which means Peter, Greek. Can I have that list of disciples up there? Here's a list of the names of the disciples. Hebrew, you have Levi. Matthew was actually called Levi because he was from the tribe of Levi. That wasn't actually his name. That was his tribal name. But Matthew himself, his name was actually Greek. Simon was Hebrew but got changed to Peter, which is Greek. But in the middle of it, in Aramaic, Cephas, which is a Greek form of the word kepa, which is Aramaic, Jesus used the Aramaic to transform Simon's name from being Hebrew into being Greek. And then you find in the next, uh, when, when Mark is actually writing about this, you find that Mark, who wrote the book down for Peter, Peter says, Jesus called me Peter. Now you've got Bartholomew is, uh, is um, Aramaic, Thomas is from the Torah, Toma is Aramaic, and Thomas, putting an S on the end, kind of turned it into the Greek name. But he was always known as Thomas. Thaddeus, who, um, in other words, I think at some point the, his name was changed or had a different meaning, Jude. Cephas was uh, Peter, the transitional name. James is a weird one because it's in Latin, and, and, but we can trace this through the Bible. We can trace it from the original Greek. Uh, it's originally a, um, a Hebrew name, Jacob, goes to a Greek name, then goes into the Latin through the translation, and today into the English, which is James. So you've got like four transitions, but it's traceable. You can follow where his name came from and when it was changed. Just as you can follow Simon's from change to cha from Simon to Cephas to Peter. And then in the majority of the disciples are Matthew, Thomas, um, which is Aramaic origin, but spoken as Greek with the S on the end. Nathanael, which is uh, Hebrew origin, Netanel, but it's been Greekicized, if for, for want of a better word. Judas is Greek, Jude or Judah is the Hebrew, but it's been changed into the Greek. Peter is the Greek. Andrew is the Greek. Philip is the Greek. The point with all these names, and this is my point, this is my point of view, so Mike's not here to defend himself, right? So I win. The point here is that names, when they were given to the person by the mother or the father or both, that name, it didn't matter what name it was and what language it was in the four languages of the region, that name was what the person was called. Except 
when either translations like James translated it and changed it different, but you can follow that, or when, like Simon, through Cephas to Peter, Jesus, there's a moment where your name will be changed. Why? Because names are important to God. Names actually are important to God. God, it's my opinion that God does matter whether we as a church use the word Yeshua or Jesus. Why? Why would it matter? Why why is it not just irrelevant? I think it's got to do with motivation. I think when you look into Jesus' words and his works, it's always got to do with why does he do what he does? Why does he say what he says and think what he thinks? Why does he, what's his motivation behind that? When you look at the Pharisees' motivation of uh, tithing, of um, the rules and the laws that they did, it was all about being more spiritual, more religious, deeper teaching, deeper uh, accuracy, and we are right. We are right. We're right, therefore, you have to obey everything we do. And And Jesus said, you load big burdens up on people. And, and what Jesus wants us to know is not about being right, it's about being in relationship. That's what he said to Saul. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, God is more concerned about love and mercy, not sacrifices. Jesus said that to the Pharisees, go and learn this. Show mercy and love, not, it's not, not about sacrifices. Yes, you tithe down to the very tenth. It's not about that. Yes, you should do that. But it's the love and the mercy and the relationship that you really want to be involved in. So then that's just the disciples. Then you've got John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you remember Zechariah was his dad's name, was it? Um, Very Hebrew name. And when he came out of the temple and they said, what are you going to name your baby? Because the mum was saying the angel told us to call him John, Greek name, Ionis. And everybody said, all the family said, no, you can't call him John. There's nobody in your family named by the name of John. But the angel had said, you shall call him John or Ionis because that was to be his name. And that was what he was known as. The thing is, that angel, to say that word John, was speaking Greek. What the rest of the language was, who knows? But the name was Greek. And the angel said that word. Now, here's a question. What language was the angel speaking when the angel came to Mary and said, you shall name your baby Jesus? I asked my dad that recently because he, um, he likes the Israel, modern Israel, Yeshua thing going on. And, and he goes, oh, I've never thought of that. And I was like, oh, cool. And it's, it's my contention that if the angel wanted to say Yeshua, he would have. And that's what he would have been known as. And we don't have any evidence at all that shows that Jesus was ever called by his Hebrew name, Yeshua. Every illustration of any name, people were always called the name that they were called. And even Paul, I mean, and the point that started me thinking down this line was why if if a Hebrew language is the more spiritual one and the one where you feel closer to God if you use the Hebrew why then did Jesus change Peter's name from Hebrew 
through Aramaic to Greek. Why did Paul change his name from Hebrew to Greek? And when you start looking at these, and why were all the, most of the disciples' names Greek? And when I, when I start looking at that and, and come up with an answer for myself, why? My answer that I can, the only thing that I can think of is the same as why Paul went, was on the road to Damascus. Because it was a point at which the whole world crossed. It met. It was, it was the, a pivotal Roman city of the area. And if Paul could get to Damascus, first off, he could stop the spread of Christianity because it was a point upon which many things rose and fell. On the way, Jesus said to him, sorry, Paul, you're going there for me now. And it became, rather than a point to stop the spread of Christianity, it became a point to spread Christianity. God's motivation is always not that you are the most accurate and religious and spiritual person in the, in the pew, but that you are the most active person at spreading his love and his message and his family through whatever language you are speaking. Do you remember going, do you remember the whole, the King James Version only Bible? I, always puzzled me. Does that mean the Spanish Bible's rubbish and the French and the Japanese and all the other hundreds and hundreds of translations? They, they're really missing out, aren't they? No. God is not limited to one language. What language will we speak in heaven? Did Adam and Eve speak Hebrew? I don't think so. I don't know what language we're going to speak, but when we get there, we do know that probably, likely, in all likelihood, we're going to understand each other. Straight off. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. And I think God is actually smart enough to know that when we say Jesus, we know who we're talking about. And he knows who he's talking about. And he says, go and get baptized in the name of Jesus. That is actually written in our Bible. You are saved by the name of Jesus in Greek. You are saved by the name of Jesus. You are baptized into the name of Jesus. It's all in Greek. If there was an original Hebrew version, how come it got lost? Did the Holy Spirit fail? There's, there's, there's many people saying, there was a Hebrew Bible and it got lost or it got destroyed or it was Aramaic or whatever. I wonder about that. We have between, between the first letters written down and then very short time thereafter, we have hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of copies being made of everything that came from the pen of the disciples. And it was all Greek. Now, uh, if Mike was here, he would go, yeah, but... Right? And he'd come out with an argument, and, uh, and it would be a good one because we have a lot of fun. Why have I just wasted your time with all this uh, argument Then I'm not even really trying to convince you into my way of thinking? Because the point that I do want to make is there are times for having fun arguments and enjoying yourself with each other, but don't get upset at each other with it. You don't hate them. I thought you liked Uncle Mike. I love Uncle Mike. And that's, we can argue and discuss and debate about these things in our own time and in our own moment. But when we are amongst non-Christians, unsaved people that are going to hell without Jesus, 
Don't waste time talking about things that are not going to convince them and that are relevant to them. Rather take Paul's statement, I preach Christ and Christ crucified, that you might be saved. That's the center of the gospel, is not the ends, not the extremities, not the strange things, not the conspiracy theories. Here's a couple of verses for you. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Uh, Do not waste time arguing over words. So, you know, excuse me for my last 10 minutes. (laughs) Isaiah 8, verse 12. Don't listen to or follow all the conspiracies. Go and look that one up. Isaiah 8, verse 12. And then Paul, of course, preach Christ and him crucified. Why? And, and what is it? If we preach Christ and him crucified, what are we telling our friends around us? We are telling them, God is madly in love with you. God is madly in love with you. What do you mean? He sent his son to die for you. Why do you do such a stupid thing? Jesus didn't need to die. He could have just said sorry. Well, if Jesus could have just said sorry or we could just say sorry and then forgive and forget, why did God see it was necessary to send him to die? Do you think he would have found another way? There's something about God and the mystery of Christ that we do not understand and I don't think it's whether his name was Hebrew or Greek. It's actually, why did he die for you? That, that's it. Why did he die for those? Why did he die for your neighbor? Why did he die for your friend? And what are you doing about it? Are you going next door to argue over whether Jesus' name is Yeshua? They don't want to know that. If they walk into here for the first time and they heard a message like I just preached, they'd be going like, what are these Christians on about? Apologies if you're here for the first time and you, you're not a Christian and, and, uh, and, and this is pretty strange and weird. My point is, is that we do argue over dumb stuff and we waste our time with it. And, and yet it is so much fun when you're discussing with your brother. And there's nothing wrong with that and do that. And uh, so to finish off, what happens? Uh, have I managed to convince Mike? Absolutely not. Have I managed to convince Stephen that uh, simple preaching is okay? Um, Absolutely, yes. In fact, he's now uh, pastor of C3 Fremantle with his wife, Unami, 10 years on. And uh, that was a whole transition. And uh, we did preaching training through over the years. And and I would love to say now that Stephen preaches simply. Why? Because it's effective. It's the simple message of God is madly in love with you that we need to get across to people. That's it. I, I, I was saying, thinking to you this morning, stop, Justin, you're preaching my message here. <laughs> because, because that's it. Our vision is very simple. Be with Jesus. Be like Jesus. So there we go. What will we do? What will we see happen if we do this? If we show the people around us that God is madly and deeply in love with them, it comes out in ways like, I mean, this church is really good at it. 
the, 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 the dinners, the lunches, the meals that come out of that kitchen and go out to Pete's place. That's fantastic. That, the hampers that were purchased by those who couldn't put them together but could send in some money. And, and we had those two ladies up here uh, just before Christmas or after Christmas just, just with tears in their eyes saying, we were so thankful and grateful. We were, we were blessed by you, your church. That, to me, that just speaks volumes. That's showing God's love. It's not arguing over irrelevancies. It's doing what Jesus has called us to do. And I, and I told my church, my leaders back in Port Adelaide, I said, this is what they did. And, and the highlight of my year was seeing these two ladies on, on the stage with tears in their eyes saying, thank you for what God has done. We've got to do that sort of thing. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Because they were looking into helping something, you know, a soup kitchen in our town. I said, do it, do it. That's exactly the sort of thing we need to be doing. That's how we show that God is madly in love with you. Would you like to stand?